Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are talking about The Last House on the Left from 1972. Directed and written by Wes Craven, starring Sandra Peabody, Lucy Grantham, David Hess, and Fred Lincoln. In this film, two, na- two teenage girls are kidnapped by two escaped murderers slash rapists. And if you're new to the show, uh, we're going to talk spoiler-free stuff for the first 15 or 20 minutes. And then we are going to spoil everything after that. We'll play a little transition music to let you know you're headed into spoiler territory. So at that point, you can duck out and watch it on Tubi. Or I wouldn't be surprised if a few of you are just going to opt to not watch this one and maybe listen to our discussion. And as a heads up, this film has some content that is more extreme and depraved than what we usually discuss on the show. Specifically, there are scenes containing rape and sexual violence. So if that's a big no thanks for you, uh, this is your chance to duck out now. However, uh, this is a significant and much talked about movie from one of the biggest names in horror, Wes Craven. So we are discussing it. Ashvin, did you know very much about this movie before I made you watch it? Oh man, just uh, it's got such a legacy. I feel like it's brought up so often, and I just uh, assume it's like a home invasion rape film. So I've I've avoided it since I'm not crazy about uh, either of those topics. Right. Um, right. What about what about you? you? You've seen this one? I had not seen it until just now. Um, oh no way! For this discussion, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it had been on my list. For a long time, just because I'm aware of it, and I know it's Wes Craven, but like you, you know, not eager to watch it. Yeah. Why do you think this movie does have, like, such a big legacy? Because, um, yeah, I feel like it is touted often, or, or cited as, like, a big influence on horror. Yeah, I think it's because it really jump-started the careers of Wes Craven and what I didn't know until recently, Sean Cunningham, the director of Friday the 13th. Right. This was produced by Sean Cunningham and directed by Wes Craven. Yeah. And this is Wes Craven's first feature film. And it, I mean, just due to its shocking content, it got a lot of publicity and it's just become infamous since then. So I think that's why it has such a big place in the uh, horror movie landscape. Mm. Okay, yeah. Even if yeah. people haven't seen it, they're, they're familiar with it. It's, you know, one of the movies spoken about in in the conversation on, like, hard movies to watch. Sure. Yeah, that, that's crazy that, that two people involved kind of went on to make some of the biggest horror franchises. Um, but this one just, like, yeah, it feels like it's more there for kind of shock value, which it sounds like it got. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it achieved that. Um, so, yeah, this was this was Wes Craven's first feature film, or at least his first feature film that wasn't pornography. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, between this... And his next horror film, The Hills Have Eyes, in 1977, he made at least one pornographic film under the pseudonym Abe Snake, which I think we've mentioned before that he's done porn under that name and worked in the porn industry in the past. I think um, uh, our next Patreon episode should be reviewing uh, Wes Craven's pornography films. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think so. That would actually be really funny to do. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy that this guy uh, did that. Though, I, I mean, watching this film, like, can you tell that like this might be a guy who used to direct pornos yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like i could could you yeah <laughs> and and it was like rated x first at first right and then they, they edited it down quite a bit yeah it was never released with an x rating it, it was released with an r after some cuts uh requested by the mpaa ah okay yeah 
But uh, Craven, of course, would go on to make such hits as A Nightmare on Elm Street and the first four Scream movies. He says of The Last House on the Left that he wanted the graphic violence because he felt that too many films, such as Westerns, glorified violence and gave the public a misleading representation of death that wasn't matching the horribleness of the news footage coming in from Vietnam. Um, Which I, I could see, and I appreciate about this film in, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And I never knew this until researching this movie, but apparently Wes Craven grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist family and was raised very rigidly. He said there was no dancing, no smoking, no card playing, and no movies. And he says he wasn't allowed to see films until he got out of college. Wow. That's crazy. Pretty wild. Did, didn't he grow up in Ohio? Yep. Born in Cleveland, Ohio. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. Not watching movies. What do you say? Yeah, not watching movies. Yeah. What else do you do in Cleveland? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, most of the actors in this film um, were inexperienced or first-time actors or were pornographic actors. Fred Lincoln, who played Weasel, was a porn actor, as was Lucy Grantham, who played Phyllis. Um, and some of the actors had a bad time making the movie or... Regret, like it sounds like there was some fun on set, but it sounds like Sandra Peabody, who plays the main character Mary, uh, did not have a fun experience and she was genuinely afraid of David Hess, who played Krug. And it mm-hmm. sounds like he was going a little bit method with the role and was actually kind of rough with her. Hmm. Which oh, is, man. adds another disturbing element to the movie. That is, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell what, what happened there, but yeah, it, it sounds like a, a pretty bad time. Yeah, and the guy who played Junior apparently threatened to throw Sandra off of a ledge at one point if she didn't get oh. a take right that she had been struggling to get. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, it's never fun to hear something like that about a movie. It just it adds to the aura of scuzziness surrounding this movie. It also it always makes me like question some of. Some directors who I like want to like too. Like, how how why were we letting this happen? You know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know. Like, how much of that do you chalk up to like ah, oh, it was the sixties, seventies, or whatever? But um, still, like, uh, yeah, you, you can't like justify any uh, a lot of that stuff. I think. Right, I agree. Must stop. Um, yeah, Fred Lincoln, uh, who is a was and still, well, I don't know if he's even still with us, but he remained a porn actor. He really regrets making the movie, and he thinks it's, like, reprehensible garbage. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, critics as well are pretty divided. I, I think at the time, like, it got hammered by a lot of critics. Yeah, I think it was largely hammered, but some people, like, did see a little bit of value in it. Um, Gene Siskel hated it. He said, my objection to The Last House on the Left is not an objection to the graphic representations of violence per se, but to the fact that the movie celebrates violent acts, particularly adult male abuse of young women. I felt a professional obligation to stick around to see if there was any socially redeeming value in the remainder of the movie and found none. Um, But then, alternatively, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars and said it was about four times as good as you'd expect. So it wasn't without its supporters. But yeah, people were... People were pissed. Yeah, right, right. There were protests to get it out of theaters and stuff. Yeah. Um, hey, this was 1972, 
Night of the Living Dead that we just reviewed, um, that was, uh, shit, what year was that? 1968. Oh, okay. So, okay. So by then, like, the rating skill was out there. You didn't have, like, the same issue as before where kids were showing up and watching these movies. Correct. Theoretically, there should not have been any kids seeing this movie. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And it had, like, a very, uh, ominous tagline that said like keep telling yourself it's only a movie yeah yeah right uh to avoid fainting <laughs> right right to avoid fainting keep telling yourself it's only a movie yeah i feel like uh, a lot of those movies in the 60s 70s horror films they relied a lot on those like uh advertisements or like that kind of pr build where like you're not gonna you're gonna pass out or like ambulances are gonna show up and stuff uh it just seemed like it'd be a big gimmick back then exactly and like th- it's rumored that that wasn't the first time that that tagline was used for a movie and that it wouldn't be the last time either. Oh, sure. So, Probably not. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it was an original Last House on the Left thing or not. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, some critics, especially like later in the game, have come to appreciate it now that it's renowned for what it was. It's got a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 50% among users. And the budget for it way back then was 87000 and it made $3 million at the box office. So, I mean, in terms of profit margin, that's a pretty great return. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. The film was remade in 2009. I haven't seen or heard much about that remake of you. No, I haven't either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Sean, and, Sean Cunningham and Wes, I think, had made a movie before this. Um, they had made a film called Together from a production company called Hallmark Releasing. And so Hallmark gave them 90K to make another film, and and this is what they did. And actually, Steve Miner, who directed Friday the 13th Part 2, was a production assistant on this movie and even had a minor role in it as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, wait, th- this was a, ha- a Hallmark-produced movie? I think it's a different Hallmark. Oh, okay. It's on the <laughs> Hallmark channel. Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't you remember okay. those uh, Last House on the Left greeting cards in all those Hallmark <laughs> stores in the mall in the 90s? Yeah, that's where I know this movie from. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, Craven based the film on Ingmar Bergman's Virgin Spring, which itself is based on a medieval Swedish ballad. They both feature very similar plot lines. And in fact, on IMDb, on the IMDb page for The Last House on the Left, the woman, the woman who wrote Virgin Spring... Her name is Ola Isaacson, is given a writing credit on The Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. um, even though she's uncredited in the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, the original script was more par- pornographic, and dude, I watched a documentary on this movie and saw a glimpse of the original script that they showed in the movie, and it was pretty disgusting. Oh, um, yeah, like there's certain, there are like three or four scenes that have been cut out, right? Yeah, well, there's some scenes that have been cut out that were actually filmed, but the original script itself had, like, a lot more nastiness in it, and it would have been a hardcore porn. Wow, yeah. But according to Craven, the actors approached him and suggested that the story was strong enough to omit the explicitness. Damn, he must have been so disappointed. Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This whole movie makes me, like, (laughs) real curious about Wes Craven. Yeah, I don't know. Suspicious. Yeah, I kind of believe it, uh, dude in the 60s, 70s, directing a movie uh, coming from like the, the porno business. He's, yeah. You know what he's up to. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of scenes that were cut, I think there are a lot of different versions of this movie with various scenes cut. And 
supposedly projectionists at the time were like making their own cuts in the theater. Like they were so disgusted with the film that they were oh, cutting wow. out parts of the of it themselves. Yep. Wow. Yeah, considered a uh, video nasty in the UK and was banned until 2008 on home video. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any other notable fun facts you want to squeeze in? Oh, it was like shot in like two, three weeks or something. Pretty quick job there. Yeah, I think so. In New York and Long Island. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I think you covered everything else. It had an alternative name, Night of Vengeance, uh, before it got released. Yeah, the script was titled Night of Vengeance. And then in post-production, they turned it to uh, a title called Sex Crime of the Century, then named it Krug and Company, and then finally landed on Last House on the Left. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, okay. one fun fact is that in its release, it was often shown as part of a double feature, often paired with Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, which oh, was a big influence on the Friday the 13th franchise. Cool. Wow. And Bay of Blood was also occasionally released as Last House on the Left Part 2. Oh, wow. Okay. Weirdly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, anything else before I hit the Ohio Connection? No, I think you got everything I had. All right, cool. Well, as always, our Ohio Connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns a jukebox bar in Cleveland, bar and restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, make sure to stop by for some great drinks, some delicious food. And Alex says, The Last House on the Left is an exploitation horror film written, directed, and edited by Wes Craven in his directorial debut. The film follows a hippie teenager who is abducted, raped, and tortured by a fugitive family on her 17th birthday. Among the cast was actor David Hess, making his cinematic debut as serial rapist Krug Stillo. Before getting into acting, Hess was a songwriter for several pop rock artists, including Pat Boone, Andy Williams, and a very young Elvis Presley. In 1956, Hess recorded the original version of the Otis Blackwell composition All Shook Up under the stage name David Hill. The next year, the song became a number one hit single for Elvis Presley. On October 20th, 1955, Pat Boone headlined the landmark, landmark concert event with supporting acts Bill Haley in the comments and the then-unknown Elvis Presley. It was the first-ever concert Presley performed in the northern United States, it is also believed to be the first filmed concert in his career. It would be nearly a year before he appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. This concert took place at the Brooklyn High School Auditorium located in Brooklyn, Ohio. What? That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, right? And props to Alex for going the extra mile to avoid reusing a previous connection that Wes Craven was born in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, I know. I feel like we've used that one already a few times, yeah, right? Yeah, Once or twice. Uh, wow, yeah, great, great find. Yeah, and a bit of music history. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, we forgot to mention that David Hess, who plays Krug, scored and soundtracked the movie. Oh, I didn't realize that. Really? Yeah. That actor? Yep. yep. Oh, that's crazy. The whole soundtrack is, is him and uh, one other dude, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Did you Do you recognize these actors from other films? I thought he had like kind of a longer career of playing villains. I don't really recognize that many people from this film, although... One of the cops is um, Martin Cove, who went on to be in like Karate Kid, uh, I think a oh. Rambo movie, and he was in VFW. Yeah, yeah, and he's probably in like the, the what's the new uh, karate, Cobra Kai, right? Uh, he could be, I don't know. I think so. That's that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's, he's a big actor. Um, 
but yeah, like Sandra Peabody, like, you know, I, I don't know if she went on to do much else. Uh, it sounds like this was kind of like their big, um, their, their big thing. Yeah. I didn't go deep into their, their futures for a lot of these actors, but I don't think, uh, they had much else going yeah. on. Yep. I don't know. David has looked so familiar, but I don't think I've seen him as other stuff. He did look familiar. I mean, he might've gone on yeah. to do some stuff. I, I should have looked into that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, buddy, are you ready to uh, walk through the plot and start spoiling things? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, do you mind if I call you back, though, and we finish this later today? As you know, my uh, wife and I have been raising some chickens, and I just realized this is the last day to get them to the market before the big livestock fair this weekend. Oh, okay, sure. All right, cool. I'll call you back. Yep. Hey, buddy, I'm back. Uh, everything went off without a hitch, but uh, I feel kind of bad. I came across two cops on foot trying to prevent a horrific crime, and they wanted <laughs> a ride, but uh, I told them, look, my hands are tied. <laughs> can't, can't take the extra weight? No, my car's weighed down with these chickens, right? Yeah. I've just got to get them to market before tomorrow, so uh, I hope everything worked out for them. I, feel I hope so, yeah. It's, a, it's not like a life or death situation, right? No, no, I'm sure. Surely yeah. not. <laughs> Yeah, uh, listeners, I snuck a pun back in there somewhere for you to look forward to. Ooh. <laughs> for those of you who like puns. Uh, pun okay. hunters. Yeah, the pun hunters. So this film opens with a title card that says something to the effect of the events you're about to witness are true, but the names have been changed to protect the living. Uh, this story is not necessarily true. I, I, it's just a gimmick as far as I can tell. Um, we transition to our main character, Mary, a young woman in the shower getting ready to go out for the night to celebrate her 17th birthday. She has a discussion with her parents about where she's going and how she's dressed. Her dad comments that you can see her nipples clear as a bell since she's not wearing a bra. Uh, it's a little awkward. It's really awkward. And, and then, like, there's an old dude at the beginning, like, uh, talking about how hot Mary is. Like, he's, like, looking at her mailbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some random dude driving by. I don't even know who that dude is. Yeah, we never see him again, but... He's like, she yeah. is one fine piece, and then, like, drives away. Yeah, I feel like she's being objectified, like, pretty heavily uh, just at the start of the film between that guy and the parents, like, talking about what she's wearing. Right, and I mean, it opens with her naked in the shower. That too, yeah. Um, the family has a discussion comparing, like, mom and dad's generation to their daughter's generation. There are comments like, I thought you were supposed to be the love generation, and so on. Uh, any other things that strike you about this opening sequence so far? Uh, no, but I think that generation theme uh, comes into play later, perhaps. Or, uh, yeah, it'd be good to circle back on that one. I think so, too. Yeah, I think we should circle back on that. Cool. Um, it's a very grainy 70s production, you can tell right from the start. Um, it feels like low budget right away. Yeah, I thought so. Did you think so? Yeah, I think so. And the editing and framing felt very amateurish. People are like half on, half in the shot, half not. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mary and her friend Phyllis are going to a concert in the city, and on the way there we hear on the radio a news broadcast about three murderers slash rapists who have recently escaped. I can't remember if it was two or three, but um, it's mentioned that one of them got his own son on, hooked on heroin, just so that he could control him. One of them yeah. is a child molester, 
Uh, it's just made clear that these are not good people and that they are now on the loose. And they're with a, a woman who can only be described as like animal-like. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they did mention her. I couldn't remember if she was an escapee or not. Yeah, I just thought the description That's of her. So yeah. <laughs> what does That's it terrible. even mean? I know. <laughs> so we then meet this gang of goons, Krug, Weasel, Krug's girlfriend, Sadie, and Krug's heroin-addicted son, Junior, and we spend some time with them getting to know their weird little family dynamic, if you can call it that. Um, and there's a very strange scene of Junior pretending to be a frog while he sits <laughs> next to Sadie, who's taking a bath. Yeah. That's, that was a really good impression of a frog. I, I was going to say, man, as weird as this scene was, it was one hell of a frog impression. Yeah, I know. Do you think like uh, he met that actor and like he had that impression? He's like, I got I to gotta get this on tape. I, this yeah, movie, so. I feel like he like used it in the audition or like had it on his resume and they're like sure we can work that in yeah (laughs) let's take another step with that script (laughs) um yeah they make the villains seem kind of zany right did you get that vibe yeah yeah i i kind of thought like the chemistry and the the dialogue between them kind of funny and quirky uh i was i I kind of enjoyed it what did you think i thought it was pretty odd i I can't say i enjoyed it yeah you don't. You don't think that's like how, how a band of like four criminals would like uh, shoot the shit with each other? Make I mean, noises? it might be, and like props to that dude's ribbit, but yeah, just didn't feel right in the movie to me. Sure, sure. Anyway, Mary and her friend Phyllis are on their way to the concert, and they walk by Junior, who's standing on the front porch of this flop house that they're staying at, and they ask him if he's got any weed. He uses this as a guise to get them inside where they're held hostage at knife point by the gang. Um, This scene, by the way, is juxtaposed by a very wholesome and loving montage of Mary's mom and dad baking her a cake for her birthday. Um, And then Krug ultimately, like, makes Phyllis take her clothes off, and they presumably rape her off screen while Mary watches. Um, At this point in the movie... Did you kind of feel like this was a bad PSA or after-school special about the dangers of doing drugs? Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, he used heroin to get his son into that, and then, like, how they're, like, buying drugs off him. Right, like, to. they got into the situation just looking for weed. Yeah, yeah, and, like, not trusting strangers and stuff, right? Right. Um, what, You know, like, it's crazy what you're seeing happen here, like, a, a young girl getting raped in, in a New York City apartment. Um, but the production and like how you talked about it, how it's like juxtaposed with what's going on at home, like it's not, uh, it's not like a scary feel at all, right? It, this has the most confusing tone of any movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah. It's, it's intercutting horrible things with lighthearted things. And the score is just so off kilter. Like Krug takes her shirt off and like punches a topless Phyllis in the stomach and it's like scored by like a discordant guitar strum, like wow, 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 like what? Like it's not a wacky thing that just happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so strange. It is really weird. And uh, like even when like they uh, bring them into the apartment and they like they lock the door behind them, and the one guy like jumps up and he yells like "gotcha," and then like it's like this like seventies music kicks in. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's, it's so weird. Yeah. The music in this is one of the strangest things I've ever seen or heard. Yep. Yeah. Um, The next morning, they are bound and gagged 
and thrown into the trunk of the gang's car, who then goes on a joyride through the country, and they're just hanging out in the car being dirtbags. Weasel asks Sadie, what do you think the craziest sex crime ever was? That's the kind of banter going on. And at this point, the soundtrack kicks in with a song that is about these very characters and what they're doing, uh, written for the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like a wacky folk song. The lyrics are Weasel and Junior, Sadie and Krug, out for the day with the Collingwood Brood. I think that's Mary's last name. Uh Uh, Out for the day with some fresh air and fun. Let's have some fun with those two lovely children, then off them as soon as we're done. (laughs) It's kind of like a upbeat song too right it's like weasel and junior sadie and krug <laughs> yeah. it's like, what the fuck it's like they got their own theme song <laughs> it's yeah very strange yeah uh if you want to know what we're talking about the soundtrack is on spotify uh and the track is called water music dash sadie and krug so <laughs> you, you can go see what we're talking about if you're the type of person who just wants to hear us talk about this movie rather than seeing it um, there was also like comedic slapstick type music playing when they loaded the girls up in the trunk, like bound and gagged. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the gu- the gang jumps out of the car and takes the girls into the woods. And Mary notices that they're actually fairly close to her house. She sees her mailbox. Uh, this is when the gang starts tormenting the women. They make Phyllis pee in her pants. They make the girls get naked and perform sexual acts on each other. And in the middle of these sexual assault scenes, we're like kind of cutting back and forth to some idiotic police officers who are at Mary's parents' house because they've reported her missing at this point. It's the next morning. And on the way back from the station, they drive right by the gang's car that's on the side of the road with doors open and the trunk wide open, but they choose not to stop for some stupid reason. Then they learn at the station that this vehicle belongs to the criminals, so they rush back to the site, but run out of gas. And it seems these cops are played for laughs, right, Ash? I think so. I think they, they're supposed to feel like a comedic uh, factor on the side. It's just like a side story of them uh, and like their the adventures of these two cops trying to get yeah. somewhere. Yeah, it's... like the typical like wacky buffoon cops in like, yeah. a movie right. where the outlaws might be the stars. Right. Yeah, it's it's such a bizarre uh, element of the film. Very bizarre. Um, Back to the plight of of the girls, Phyllis and Mary. Phyllis decides she's going to make a run for it to distract the gang and give Mary the opportunity to run after her, or run after the gang pursues her, like run the other way. Uh, The gang takes off in pursuit of Phyllis, leaving Junior to watch over Mary, and Mary tries to win Junior over. She gives him her necklace, she flatters him, and tells her that she can get him a fix at her house, which isn't too far from here, because Junior's kind of like coming down and and starting to go through withdrawal a little bit. Oh, that's what was going on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, meanwhile, uh, oh, go oh, ahead. And she's like calling him Willow and stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't know like, why she said Willow. Maybe that was a cultural thing I didn't get, but yeah, I didn't she's like that. trying to suck up to him and and get him to free her essentially. Right. Meanwhile, our gang of villains has surrounded Phyllis after she had very nearly made it to the road, and she is stabbed in the back by Weasel. They kick her repeatedly as she tries to crawl away, and they ultimately stab her to death and pull out her intestines and apparently cut up her body a bit because when they return to find Mary nearly escaping after convincing Junior she can get him a fix, they show Mary Phyllis's arm as like proof that they've killed her. 
And then Krug carves his name into Mary's chest with a knife and rapes her. Uh, so, yeah, this is, this is like a pretty disturbing part. And there the rape, is. again, intercut with the cops, right? I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, with their hijinks. I'm trying to get a ride. Yeah. Uh, Mary gets up. She vomits. She says a prayer to herself and then walks away. And then they stab her multiple times. She walks into a nearby lake where Krug shoots her multiple times until she dies. And we see her dead body floating in the pond as the birds chirp. They stab her before she walks into the pond. I thought she just gets up, prays, and walks into the pond. I couldn't remember. I My notes were a little confusing here. They, they may not have stabbed her at this point. Okay. Um, did you notice that Krug like looks disappointed after she like gets up and pukes? I didn't know if he was disgusted yeah. with himself or what was going on there that's what i thought for a second like was he having like a moment of like reality or like shock like what have i just done but that would have seemed off for his character so it was an interesting expression that seemed to have some weight to it but the fact that he then pulls a gun and just shoots her in the head kind of uh made that made it clear that he doesn't really care yeah agreed yeah so that was it did seem out of character um yeah. and uh Oh, what do you think of the music that plays after she gets raped? Yeah, it's like, there's some like oddly tender folk music playing after she's yeah. raped. It's just totally out of place. Yeah. And yeah, my notes here do say the rape scene is intercut with zany, idiotic cop scenes. Oh, God. Oh, so such yeah. a strange tonal clash in this movie. Right. Um, the cops are now walking on foot to the scene of the crime after they've run out of gas. They try to hitchhike and they're flicked off by some hippies. That's what happens during the rape scene. Uh, these cops then encounter a woman driving a pickup truck loaded down with crates of chickens. She tells them to get on her truck, and then she starts the car and s- immediately stops, and they roll off as she's cracking up about it. There's an extended <laughs> conversation about how much the cops weigh, how much her truck can carry, how many chickens she's got on the truck. Yep. <laughs> Is this like the last scene you ever expected to be in this yeah. movie that has this like notoriously vicious reputation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, none of this was adding up. <laughs> this is so weird. So weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, the criminals wash up in a pond and make their way to the closest house and ask if they can stay there for the night under the guise that their car broke down. And this is, of course, Mary's house. So her parents are now hosting the gang of criminals who have, unbeknownst to them, just raped and killed their daughter. However, some evidence starts to tell the parents that something's up Mary's dad notices a bite mark on Krug's hand and a bandage on Sadie's head. And then in the middle of the night, Mary's mom wakes up to the sounds of Junior puking in the bathroom because he's in withdrawal. She checks on him and notices her daughter's necklace around his neck. She -hmm. then finds bloody clothes in their suitcase and overhears him say uh, something like, if they find out that we killed their kid um, before he's shushed by the rest of the gang. And uh, and they like they reveal that like they dumped her in the river or something or the lake. Yeah, right? I think they say they dumped her in the lake. Yeah. So they run from the house to the lake. The parents do and find Mary dead in the pond. Um, and then they return home, and the dad is in the basement experimenting with weapons, and uh, the mom is just like having a drink. Did you <laughs> feel like the parents were not as shaken up as they should be at this point? Yeah, this is really bizarre. Like, you just found out you have murderers in your house who you killed your daughter, and you come back to that house, and you split up like that. Like, one's upstairs drinking, the other's, like, kind of just playing around with, like, things in the basement. It, yeah, you, you think you, they would have been, like, more panicked or more angry or shaken up or something, but they're pretty cool and 
collected, I guess. Yeah, very odd, very odd. Yeah. Um, so Weasel gets out of bed and starts flirting with Mary's mom, uh, who is flirting right back, and she gets him to come outside with her. The dad, meanwhile, starts setting booby traps inside the house, which made <laughs> me wonder if Craven is, like, obsessed with booby traps, right? There's oh. booby traps in A Nightmare on Elm Street. There's, right. I think there's, like, a trap in Hills Have Eyes, like an elaborate trap. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he loves the scene of, like, someone putting up traps to, like, catch someone, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this, which I thought this was really weird. Like, uh, I, yeah, again, like, how far ahead have you thought about all this stuff? Like, why, why are you? I, it just seemed like a really weird, weird approach. Right, like, when was this conversation had down by the pond where you found your only daughter dead yeah. after being raped and murdered? Like, yeah. hey, I got a plan. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, I'm going to put shaving cream outside their door. <laughs> yeah, right? Like you just you just hang out upstairs and have a drink by yourself. I'll, yeah. I'll uh, look for some stuff in the basement. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, back outside, Mary's mom is now giving Weasel a blowjob um, <laughs> and then bites his penis, possibly clean off. Did you, did, did you find that crazy? Did I find it crazy? Yeah, that like that would be her move is like, yeah, let me take him out, uh, seduce him, or like let him seduce me, go down on him, and then fight him off. It's a pretty elaborate and committed uh, approach, right? That you would yeah. subject yourself to sex with the person who raped and murdered your daughter just as a way to get vengeance. Right, right. Especially when you've already got him like tied with his hands behind his back. Uh, I feel like she could have killed him some other way pretty easily. Exactly. Um by the way, their phone is out, and they seem to live far from things. So that could factor into this wacky decision of theirs. Who knows? Um, oh, yeah. They do mention that like a number of times, right, in the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember why their phone is out, but it is. Hmm. Krug wakes up and begins battling with Mary's dad. The dad tries to shoot him, but only grazes his shoulder. Uh, then they engage in an extended fist fight. The fight is interrupted when Junior... Krug's own son walks into the room with a handgun, threatening to shoot Krug. Krug then starts screaming at him over and over again to use the gun instead to blow his brains out. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Junior does that. He shoots himself in the head. The dad escapes to the basement and emerges with a chainsaw. Sadie flees the house and accidentally runs into a swimming pool. And just as our two goofball cops finally arrive on the scene, dad kills Krug with a chainsaw and Mom slits the throat of Sadie in the swimming pool. One of the cops takes the chainsaw out of Dad's hand, and we freeze frame on Mari's dad, panting and covered in blood. And then the credits roll with a wacky montage of character photos with this silly bluegrass theme song <laughs> playing again. What did, what did we just watch? <laughs> I do not know, man. That was <laughs> yeah. not what I was expecting. Like... In, same. In some ways it was, but I almost find the movie more disturbing with me going back and describing it. I almost feel like listening to us describe the scenes may be more disturbing than actually watching the scenes. Is that crazy? Uh, no, I, I think you're right, because when you describe it, uh, yeah, you, 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 you like paint that mental picture in your mind, whereas when you watch it, the acting is so bad, the production's so bad, and like the musical tone and like the, the shooting of it, it's so bad that it kind of like downplays the violence that you're actually seeing happen on the screen. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be like, hey, make this more disturbing and sadistic, but it's like dishonoring the 
severity of what's happening. Like, right. you're kicking the legs out of a very horrible scene to cut to some, like, wacky cops that just can't seem to catch a break. Like, what? Yeah. It is yeah. so odd. It's a really strange choice. Um, which, you know, your earlier comment about Wes Craven wanting to make something that felt more real compared to uh, the Vietnam War, like, clips that they were getting. Right. Where, where was that here? Right? I do not know. I mean, I guess just in actually, like, so showing some of this stuff happening. Um, but really, like, in terms of the severity of what's shown, it's it's sexual stuff. It's really the situations. Like, it's not that hard. <sighs> it's not that hard to watch. Like, yeah, no, it's... I'm not saying watchful. it's great and it's a breeze, but f- this movie's reputation is not nearly as bad as watching this movie. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not you're not in the movie, you know? You're taken out of it because you're thrown so off kilter by the strange approaches that it's taking. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, which, I don't know, like, do you think a part of that is, like, we've had this belief about this movie of it being, like, so... Um, violent and like uh, with the rape scene and stuff that like we go into it with the mentality that this is going to be a lot worse than it actually is you know in our last episode on Fresh I was tooting my own horn about how oh I never go into movies with expectations <laughs> but uh, I did I did hear and I expected yeah. something awful and what I got was something wacky like yeah. <laughs> confusingly right. wacky yeah do you think that like Craven was trying to accomplish something here. Like, I could see him being like, well, this is like what you people consider entertainment and like couching the rape and torture into very typical comedic scenes from movies like where we're meant to sympathize with villains who are also like doing bad things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Is he trying to like flip that on his head and be like, hey, here's like what that bad stuff that the villains we glorify in something like a Western or an outlaw movie are really up to. And like, yeah, uh, I don't know. Cause like, I don't think so. uh, cause, cause I, I feel like I've seen movies like that where they're taking something that's like considered entertainment or more like comedic or whatever. And then doing a good job of like just opposing it with like the true horror of it. And I, I just didn't feel like they did try any of that here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so silly. It's funny. Cause like the movie is like, unrealistic and stupid it's silly and wacky it's disturbing and sadistic but like it's not those things too because it's those other things like it's shocking but also just somehow really dull and confusing yeah well is it shocking in how unshocking it is is that what's what's shocking about like i mean were there any scenes where like holy shit i can't believe they did that or showed that or is it more shocking that they did those things but they just like did them so poorly or, like, didn't, like, uh, uh, yeah, give them the space that they could have to, to make them actually feel as shocking as those things should be. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, making someone pee their own pants and, like, forcing people into sexually assaulting each other. And then, like, it's just, it's not portrayed on screen mm-hmm. that often and it's not portrayed in that much detail, even though a lot of it isn't, like, super detailed, to be honest. Right. Based yeah, on exactly. what you might expect based on this movie's reputation. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting a lot more details. Yeah. Or, or stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, man, it's it's a head scratcher. I, I can't tell what the intent was here. It doesn't doesn't sound like they were going for anything like comedic or like uh, smart uh, or anything like that. I, I, it sounds like he was trying to make it uh, like brutal and like horrifying, but that it just didn't come across that way. Yeah, and I, like I got to thinking, like, okay, Craven's kind of like the godfather of meta horror. So, is there some sort of meta commentary here? embedded in these weird tonal changes that I'm not really getting. Mm, but yeah. if there is, man, it, I think it fails. Right, right. I agree. Immensely, actually. Yeah. Um, it's got poor editing, especially towards the beginning. Man, uh, do you remember the editing during the chase scene where I think Phyllis is running through the woods? Um, it's just like that scene goes on for like five minutes and just like random cuts of like wood shots and stuff. That doesn't make sense what's happening. Oh, gotcha. I don't remember that specific grievance, but I'm sure you're right. Yeah, I mean, I thought she was getting away, but then, like, they're, like, right next to her or something. It was just way weird. I also feel like, like, set aside the fact that none of the music matches the tone that you would expect from this movie, it also is, like, very overly scored or, like, overly soundtracked. Even if the music fit, it's just, like kicking in at weird times kicking in really loud in the mix like it's just strange yeah 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 the music when, when the music pops up it is it's out of place and it's the wrong type of music yeah um story wise like what are the odds that the girl you kidnapped in new york city uh you're driving down your car breaks down right outside her house uh like miles away from the city yeah statistically pretty unlikely that you end up back at her house yeah, right. Um, and then the the character reactions, like I think you called out the parents, like I think them just taking in these guys outside, the police just like overlooking the fact that there's an abandoned vehicle outside of the missing girl's home. Right, um, right outside of her house. Who's She's just been <laughs> reported missing. Yeah, like <laughs> clue number one. That's like right. right? so stupid. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just like a lot of character decisions that didn't really uh, make sense here. I agree. I agree. Also, um, I mean, if if you're a fugitive, you know, the cops are after you. Do you abduct uh, two people? Like, is that the thing to do? Right, and then desert your car and leave all the doors open and the trunk open? Right, yeah. And then, like, <laughs> commit your crimes not too far from that car? Yeah, like, exactly. In the woods and then go to that house where you left your car outside. Exactly. <laughs> right, and then go, yeah, so weird. Yeah. Um... So the gener- generational themes, did you want to talk more about that? Yeah, I was wondering if there was a generational theme, because, yeah, obviously there's a lot of commentary between their parents and her, and, like, describing her generation as, like, the free love, and, like, they're a little bit more uptight, but then, like, her generation, I think she's in a different generation than the um, the bad guys. I, do you think, like, they're the parents' generation? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think there could be generational commentary here. Yeah. Um, I've got this book called The Art of Horror Movies and Illustrated History. And in the section on the 1960s, um, journalist Kim Newman writes that the 1960s was the era of the generation gap. The horror films of the decade obsessively literalized the theme with stories of corrupt, evil, decadent old people exerting malign influence over with it youth, like hip Mm. youth. Yeah. he doesn't really go on to support his argument all that well, in my opinion, but if he's right, I'm wondering if this movie, which is 1972, granted, but is a remnant of that like same mentality of the 60s. Yeah, like, sure. 
all the people conducting violence are of the older generation. Um, right. And like both her, her parents too also are um, perpetrating violence. And Sa- Sadie seems younger, but she was written to be in her 40s. Oh, she was. Interesting. Yeah, and just it was a happenstance of casting. They they thought, um, I can't remember her name now. Right? Oh, shoot. I didn't write it down. But they, they liked her, and they were like, it's, whoever's willing to do this movie, like, we took them. Because uh, it's a weird movie. Like, not many people were going to say yes to this. Jeremy Rain is her name. Jeremy Rain, yeah. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so they were all, everyone perpetrating violence was supposed to be older um Mm -hmm. and like junior is kind of like he's he's a villain but he's written to be in the same generation as mary and phyllis and he's kind of like a twisted version of them just like wanting to hang out and have fun like Mm -hmm. they're looking for weed unfortunately he's looking for heroin but that's because of his dad yeah he's corrupted by the older generation right right Yep. I feel like this could be saying something about how, like, Vietnam is the generation that was in power uh, choosing violence, even though the younger generation, like, vehemently opposed it with the flower power movement of the 60s and stuff like that. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is it also pointing towards, like, a, do you think, like, there's a, a naiveness of the younger generation that they're calling out with, like, yeah, going into someone's place uh, in in New York City or something, and like, kind of just like trusting everyone. Perhaps, yeah. Like her dad warns her that the concert's in a bad neighborhood and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it could be talking about naivete, but also like thinking about Wes Craven and his age, like coming into films and pornography after a strict upbringing. I'm thinking he was meaning to villainize the older generation. He, he was. I would think. I don't know for yeah. sure. He, I didn't see any commentary about like the generational stuff in the documentary or in any right. of the interviews or anything, but I could have missed right. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of a heavy setup up front with like how that conversation between her and her parents. So then, that's a good point about uh, all the villains being of right, or like all the violence coming from older generations. Yeah, and like the the movie is front loaded with yeah, a kind of extended discussion about the difference between generations. Yep. Yep. And I learned something. I learned that there's a generation between the greatest generation and the baby boomer, boomers called the silent generation. Oh, yeah. They are I've, parents of both baby boomers and Gen Xers. Ah, oh man. I've seen that on, on charts at work when we're like doing like demographic stuff. That, that's interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think the perpetrators of the violence in this movie were the silent generation. Oh, okay, okay. Fascinating. Is the point of this movie at the end that like the villains did these horrendous crimes and they pushed the parents then to become murderers is that like the takeaway at the last scene i think that's what fascinated craven about the virgin spring like the ability of a normal person to be corrupted to the point where they're willing to perpetrate like horrible acts of violence as well but that part of the movie just really isn't hit out of the park, you know? It's You just see the parents find their dead daughter, and then you don't get any <laughs> drama from it. 
No. Uh, no emotion. They just come home and fuck shit up, and that's that. Like, yeah, exactly. It's real weird. It is. It is, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of elements that uh, they could have dived into a little bit more and given the movie a little bit more uh, grounding and like uh, the, the characters a little bit more believable, but um, all of that just was lost. Yeah, I agree. Could you see this movie kind of being like an ancestor of The Devil's Rejects? Oh, like where you, you probably already forget that movie, but like yeah. we spend more time getting to know the villains than the victims. Um, and like we're supposed to like the villains in a way like they're they're wacky and zany, even though they're doing horrible things. Yeah. Uh, is that where they're in a hotel? Yeah. Yep. Oh, OK. It's the one oh, with yeah. Sherry Moon's butt. Do you remember that? one? Oh. <laughs> that, one that one time we see Sherry Moon's butt. That's that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay yeah that nails it uh yeah I, I i do think that this movie most of the time like in most of the dialogue and scenes i think are the villains and them uh talking to each other right so it felt like they were the main characters in in this film i agree like we really don't even get that much time getting to know mary at all yeah i know that's why i struggle to call her like the main uh character here i mean she's killed like three-fourths of the way through it and once the abduction starts like she's not really talking much uh i, th- I think like phyllis is like doing more of the talking yeah yeah, I mean, the camera is really on the perpetrators of the violence more than it's on the victims. Yeah, right, right. Um, I kind of, uh, the, the whole necklace thing where she gives him the necklace and, like, that's how the mom knows. Uh, I, feel, I feel like that was, like, very forced, um, like, to, uh, thing in there. Like, because in the scene, it makes no sense. Like, why are you giving the suit a necklace? Why are you calling him Willow? Like, so I, I don't know, some of her acting, it was, it was just hard to follow. Yeah, it was hard to follow. Um, I think that's a direct plot point from Virgin Spring. Not the same thing, but I think it's something like they're selling clothes and it's the clothes that the kid was wearing or something like that. It's a similar giveaway, like where the child's clothing uh, is the giveaway. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's like some clue. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was a way to, to basically use the exact same plot as Virgin Spring. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, anything else to discuss with this movie besides the fact that it's just very tonally strange? <laughs> tonally strange, uh, no, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so disorienting in that way, and, uh, I wonder if, like, that works in its favor or not, and, like, I don't think it did. It sounds like, like, it, was it effective for you in, in that way? No, no, it wasn't. Although, like, considering the possibility of it somehow being meta-commentary on movies and what we consider entertainment and, like, the zany outlaw archetypes. Uh, yeah. I'm tempted to revisit it with that in mind, but at the same time, I don't really want to watch this again. Yeah, right, yeah. And it's just, yeah. like, got so, it's so rough around the edges, which can work in a movie's favor if it's, like, really gritty and violent, like something like a, a Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or something. I don't think of that as a bad film, but it's just like the picture is grainy. It's a little bit amateurish. Like it adds Mm -hmm. to the grittiness. Right. But this just kind of like takes away from it. It does. It does. The acting isn't great. Honestly, some of the villains are decent actors. Um, Like Krug? Honestly, I think Fred Lincoln maybe gave the best performance as Weasel. Mm, Okay. Krug is decent sometimes, but he's a little weird other times. What do you think? Uh, I don't know, man. I was I was uh, I was bought into like his badassness. 
Um, yeah. But then, yeah, he would be kind of random sometimes, like just like uh, I'm gonna go, get, I'm gonna go heat up, warm up or something, and like leaves the group. Yeah, if he's not, if he's at like peak badass, like being real mean, then I I buy into him and I think he's giving a good performance. Yeah, how did he convince him his son to kill himself? I I mean I almost <laughs> <laughs> he almost picked up the guy. Yeah, I was like, should I should I blow my brains? Yeah, this is that actually was the most haunting scene of the movie for me strangely there was something like really real and raw about it he was just like backing him down and being like blow your brains out and it was just like really disturbing and raw and it it was kind of sad too like a father to his own son yeah you're right that that is kind of like the most tragic uh death in the scene and or in the movie and and yeah yeah, his, his acting at that part too it's like the most expressive acting that we see throughout the film so, also, uh, just in case people are listening to us say, hey, this movie where two young women are sexually assault- assaulted and then murdered, but the saddest scene is when a, a guy gets shot who's yeah. a criminal. I don't think we mean that, but at the same time, the movie successfully dramatizes that event effectively and as it should be, and the right. rapes and the sexual violence are undercut by weirdly zany elements yeah so that just to put that into context yeah the music i also wonder if like the daytime nature of it um uh, uh, being in the woods um i don't know yeah for for some reason uh yeah they just totally missed it on, on the mark on those ones yeah yeah but i thought you were scared of the woods i'm scared of the woods yeah this is like a, a small forest next to a house this is barely like the woods right Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And other and movies we've seen with freaky wood stuff is at night. Yeah, this is daytime, which is, yeah, seems, yeah, a little, a little less strange. Yeah, um, it's like they can't be that far from civilization. Right, right, exactly, if the house is right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I, mean, I I think that what you described there is, is like what's wrong with this movie is like the, the two things that like are supposed to hit you the hardest and be the most disturbing, they just undercut so much. And, yeah. uh you're just like what the fuck that's that's crazy yeah i i don't think um sandra peabody gave a good performance as mary i was like forgetting a certain plot point for my plot walkthrough and so i turned the movie on again on tubi and watched a scene where i feel bad making fun of this scene because something bad is happening but it's a scene where phyllis is first being sexually assaulted by the gang in the apartment yeah. And she just goes quiet, right? It's all happening off screen. And we see Mary just like looking at her and her reaction to it. And it's mm-hmm. very bad acting. Yeah. She's just like puzzled and concerned. And like you can tell she's trying real hard to like, okay, I, I got to make like eight different expressions that show that I'm concerned about what's happening over there. Yeah. Uh, and it's bad. It, it's very amateur. That. Really, that was the point in time where I was like, "This is like an after-school special." Yeah, it is amateur actors. Yeah, her her performance. Uh, I mean, like I thought up until the point where they get kidnapped, she was fine. But then she just goes quiet, uh, and it's mostly on Phyllis for like the the next few scenes. And it's just like, yeah, we you were the main girl. Like, what? what why aren't you uh, giving more of a performance? Yeah, surprising. Yeah, I actually thought uh, Lucy Grantham was decent as Phyllis too. Yeah. I definitely between the two. I mean, she was the one who you could really feel like the the dread or like the scare with, and I think they were targeting her as well. Yeah. 
Well, man, uh, you have anything else to say, or should we do the ratings? Um, no, I think we talked. We got everything, so I'm, I'm good right. to jump to the ratings. All right, cool. Uh, let's see. Zero to five inappropriately zany theme songs. What do you give this movie? <laughs> I think uh, one and a half uh, inappropriately uh, themed. Was it inappropriately scored scored theme songs? Inappropriately zany theme songs. My oh, my uh, metrics are always hard to remember. <laughs> they are. Yeah, one and a half inappropriately uh, zany theme songs. Um, just because, yeah, there wasn't too much redeeming here. The generational commentary was cool, but the acting was bad. The production was bad. Um, and yeah, the, the, I, I would go with one, but I, I'm giving it the half for the idea that you're putting out there that maybe it was trying to comment on. Uh, the watering down of violence and how like they could make it digestible and uh, when it's really these crazy things conceptually that are happening. But that's a loose one. Sure. But, right. Yeah. What about yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to dig more into that and see see if there's truth to that. Because I know. I mean, I know that was his goal. He said he like wanted to like show people the real violence and like show them that the violence they're seeing in movies is watered down. But to then water down his own violence seems like yeah. he's undercutting his goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like double watering it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Where'd you land on your score? I give it two out of five inappropriately zany theme songs. I enjoyed the movie once the parents were enacting revenge. Like, mm. mostly because I thought that was paced and sequenced really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just kind of like having fun with it at that point a- after not really enjoying at all what I saw up until then. Like, right. I feel like I would have been more 1.5 territory had I not had fun with the final scenes of Vengeance. Uh, so that third act, uh, watching the parents go uh, on them, was, was like kind of a good payout? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a decent payout. Yeah. And yeah, the whole blow your brains out thing was strangely haunting for me. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy performance and crazy scene. Yeah. Um, it's such a, a wild dynamic between that father and son. Yeah, indeed. Cool, man. Anything else? Uh, no, that's all I got. All right, cool. Well, that is all for our episode on The Last House, uh, Last House on the Left. Everybody, if you enjoyed it, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, thank you for enduring my thick, sick voice. Thick, sick voice. <laughs> for three episodes now, I hopefully will be better the next time we record. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and there's a social links drop down with links to Twitter and Facebook. That's where we announce where we're, what movie we're covering next week. There's also a link to our Discord server where you can hop on and talk with us and other horror movie fans and listeners of the show. It's a great community we have there, so don't hesitate to join up. Uh, our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her on etsy.com by searching amy may pop art all one word and she's got some horror movie club coasters if you want to buy some merch from us she's also just got great horror movie art that i highly recommend going and buying to decorate your home let's see you can email us podcast at horrormovieclub.com there's also a big orange patreon button on horrormovieclub.com where for a buck a month you can sign up for some bonus content. We've got quite a few bonus episodes out there now. And until next time, uh, kids, if your dad offers you some heroin, tell him you're wise to his tricks and just say no. Just say no. <laughs> One hell of a long con to get your kid addicted to heroin. 
Yeah, yeah, it really is. That'd be kind but, of expensive too, I would think. Oh my god. Yeah, I can't, can't even imagine. Like, like I'm at it having a hard enough time just like feeding and clothing our kids. To, you're right. <laughs> I don't want to get addicted to heroin on top. <laughs> they don't talk about that part enough. <laughs> our heroin budget is through the roof, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought daycare was bad. <laughs> <laughs> sure, girl. 